the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can subscribe on Podbeam, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at erik.anderson at nllutheran.com. Our scripture reading this morning comes just from the Gospel of Matthew, the 13th chapter. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which someone found and hid. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, I'm Pastor Ben, and it is my privilege this morning to share God's truth with you. But this past week, I was reading online through a couple articles, and I read something that was pretty interesting. I read that the number one fear of Americans is public speaking. Now, let's think about that for a little bit. That means that people are more scared of public speaking than poisonous spiders, right? poisonous snakes, mice, Heights, skydiving, bungee jumping. This means that Americans are more scared of cancer and death than they are, or less, less, sorry, sorry, let me rephrase that so you guys are tracking with me. They're more scared of public speaking than even death, which means that people would rather die than speak in front of people. Now, this seems kind of odd to us, doesn't it? Because we talk to people all the time. You talk to your family members and coworkers, right? We're constantly in communication with people. In fact, oftentimes it's a whole family or a bunch of coworkers. So we're talking to larger groups of people very consistently. So what's different about public speaking and just talking with a bunch of people? The answer is criticism, right? When we put ourselves in, in front of people kind of like this scenario and people are listening to us, They're listening to every word and every phrase. And if we misspeak, or even if we speak correctly, but they don't like it, there's a level of criticism that happens, right? If we say a statement or share a story that they don't like, there's a level of criticism. If we're not wearing what they want us to wear when we're sharing, there's a level of criticism. And this is why when I told people I wanted to become a pastor, the pastors that I knew said, don't do this unless it is a calling. Now, that's a pretty churchy word. You might not really understand what that implies, but to have a calling on your life, especially in pastoral ministry, means that you honestly can't see yourself doing anything but this. And the reason that they told me is because they knew if you put yourself up in front of people week in and week out and try to share God's truth with them, you're going to receive criticism. Now, I'm great with feedback, and I always am very receptive to it, so don't feel like you can't tell me things that you're feeling or or thinking or what you're sensing. I'm always open to those conversations. But when I receive that that critique, when when I hear those things, this is what I normally hear, especially about my preaching. I have two sides of the coin there where people share their stories and and kind of think where I where I miss or where I could do better. The the one group actually tells me, hey, we love that when you teach you use a lot of stories, right? They tell me, 
It's made such an impact in my life, and I love it. I love how you tell your story or a story. You connect it to God's story, and then that actually influences my story. Right? They say, we love that. Don't ever change. And then I have other people who tell me, we don't like the stories at all. Please stop using the stories. You can see where I get a little confused, don't you? But they, you know, they tell me, hey, this is what we want you to do is, is share the law and gospel, get your three points and, and share the scripture and pray. That's what we want. And, and I understand that too, because that's exactly how my professors taught me. Talk about the law in the scripture, talk about the gospel in the scripture, hit your three points, pray and move on. You have done your job. And when I was a younger pastor, that's exactly what I did because that's what I was taught. But then I ran into this section of scripture that changed everything for me. It's in the book of Matthew. Specifically, it talks about how Jesus taught, how Jesus preached. And this is what Matthew writes. Jesus always used stories and illustrations like these when speaking to the crowds. In fact, he never spoke to them without using such parables. Jesus, when he had the crowds gathered, would use stories to teach people. Now, why would he do this? It wasn't just to entertain or to to build up the population, right? To grow his popularity. That wasn't the point. You see, what Jesus knew is what you know is that stories stick with you. When Jesus taught these stories, people would remember them. It would rattle around their brains. It would rattle around their minds. And if it rattled around their minds and brains long enough, it would become a part of their life. They would internalize his truth. So Jesus always used stories because stories have the power to transform lives. So as we step into this new sermon series during Lent, this is what we're going to do. We're going to engage with the greatest storyteller ever to live and engage with the greatest stories ever told. See, Jesus was an amazing storyteller, and he told the greatest stories. In fact, if you just walked out into the nice warm weather today and you spoke to somebody, I guarantee they had heard of some of the parables of Jesus, even if they didn't know that Jesus taught them. I mean, 2,000 years later, these stories still are spoken about still talked about, and they still have the power to transform your life. And so today, we're going to dive into our first story. In Matthew, it says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. So like I said, when Jesus taught, he would use these stories to impact people's lives. And very typically, what would happen is he would teach, and these large crowds would come, these large crowds. Now, they would come for all sorts of reasons, Right? Some wanted to hear the teaching, some loved the stories, some had heard he does miracles, and so they wanted to see it up close and personal, or they needed a miracle in their life. And so the, the, the population and the popularity of Jesus just grew and grew and grew and grew, and when they showed up, he would share these stories. And who was in the crowd in these stories, when he would share these stories? Everyone. There's some people who love Jesus, some people who hated Jesus, and were just waiting for him to say one thing that just wasn't quite right so they could get him. There were some people on the fence. Some people are just curious. And when they showed up, Jesus taught. Because it was worth it to him 
to hopefully spark some form of transformation in their life, even the most hardened skeptics that came to him. He wanted them to get into and move towards his heavenly father, to be in that personal relationship. So he'd tell these stories. And oftentimes people weren't really sure what they meant. In fact, sometimes the disciples, his closest friends, didn't even know what they meant. And so they pulled Jesus aside and they'd have these private conversations and say, Jesus, what did you mean with that story? And he would tell them and he would teach them. And that was the normal pattern. But as we engage with this story, this story is a little bit different. You see, this story wasn't told to large groups and it wasn't explained to the disciples. This story was a private conversation between Jesus and his disciples. And he begins like he began a lot of his parables. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like, in other words, I'm going to teach you a spiritual truth, but I'm going to encapsulate into a human story so you can hold on to it. So you can get it. And he goes on and he starts a story. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure and it's hidden in a field. So right away, the disciples are thinking, okay, we're talking about something incredibly valuable. And they're wondering, what could this treasure be? Well, Jesus goes on. Which, is, which someone found and hid. So Jesus continues the story and he talks about this treasure that was found in a field and then someone found it and then hid it. So right away, we know something about the person who found it. It's not the landowner. Because if you own the land and you found a treasure on your property, what would you do? You'd take it to your house, right? You'd put it in the bank. You'd sell it and you'd cash the check. What you wouldn't do is hide it back in the ground. So right away, we understand something. We're talking about somebody who's very blue collar, right? It's somebody who's working for the land owner. And they're out there and they're tilling the fields or they're planting the seeds or they're using a spade, whatever it is, and they just hit something and they uncover it. And they look, and it's a treasure, and so they hide it. Now, this is not a story about ethics, okay? So if you were doing the right thing here, you probably uncover the treasure. You tell the landowner, your boss, the landowner, and say, hey, you own this already. It's on your property. So this is not a story about ethics. (laughs) But he hides it because he sees the value, and he wants it. So this is what he does. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So this blue-collar person, this, this nose-to-the-grindstone type, right? Get up early, work till late, use all my energy to provide for my family, and just get by. This is who we're talking about. He goes home, and he looks at everything that he owns. He looks at his home. He looks at his clothes. He looks at his money. He looks at his car. Now, I know what you're thinking. There's no cars in that day. I understand. All right? Don't criticize me about that, okay? I'm not that dumb. I got it. No cars. Trying to modernize it for you, okay? So you guys can understand what this would be like. So he goes home and he looks at everything, the house, the cars, the clothes. He goes to his wife and says, hey, that engagement ring, that wedding ring, we got to sell it. We are going to sell everything. We are going to empty our bank account because this treasure is so valuable. And that's what this person does. He gives away everything, sells away everything to get this treasure, to buy the field so he can have this in his possession. Whoa. This is amazing. 
And when the disciples heard this, especially the blue-collar disciples, which are what many of them were, right? Fishermen. When they heard the story and they weren't sure what was going, they breathed a sigh of relief. Because they thought Jesus was talking about them. Because we are the blue-collar workers, Jesus. We left our boats and our nets and we followed you, our treasure. And so they thought this story was a word of affirmation to them. Jesus, thank you. We truly have given up everything, Jesus. We gave up everything to follow you. And they were just kind of filled with joy at this point in time. Well, Jesus continues his story. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. So once again, we step into a similar parable, right? A similar story, spiritual truth wrapped up into a human storyline so we can understand it. And Jesus says, hey, this time it's like a merchant, And he's looking for fine pearls. So we understand right now, we're talking about now a white collar person, right? Somebody who has some money, they're investing their money into fine pearls and they're going to take those pearls and they're going to sell them for a profit, right? This is who this person is. It's a salesman. It's a white collar type worker. And when Jesus says this, Matthew perks up because Matthew is our white collar disciple. He was a tax collector. And you guys remember his story. He had to by his position, because you actually bid to become a tax collector and you take money from your friends, your people and send it to Rome. But here was the perk. After you did the taxing, you could actually add on more onto that. And then you'd put that into your pocket and you would line your pockets. And so Matthew was a businessman. He was a rich guy. He had made a lot of money by doing this trade of a tax collector. And so when Jesus mentioned the merchant, Matthew perked up because now he knew Jesus was talking about him. So Matthew was concerned. He knew how the other story ended, but he wasn't sure how his story was going to end. And so Jesus continues with the story. On finding one pearl of great value. So once again, in the story, we see something of great value. It's not the many pearls he was looking for. It was this one pearl the greatest pearl he'd ever seen. So what is he going to do? Well, this is what Christ tells us. He went and sold all that he had and bought it. So this white collar guy with some money, with some resources, he goes home, talks to his family, talks to his wife. This is what we're going to do. We're going to sell the home and the vacation home. We're selling the car, the minivan, and the sports car. The motorcycle's gone too. It's all going. We're emptying the savings and the checking and the 401k. And that ring and all your jewelry and all your clothes, they're gone. We've got to sell it all because I want this pearl. And when Matthew heard the conclusion of this story, he also breathed a sigh of relief. Because he too thought the story was about him. Jesus, I gave up everything. I I left my booth, my tax collecting booth. I left my job. I left my riches and I came to follow you. I took the call, Jesus. I got it. I am this person. Thank you so much for acknowledging my sacrifice. See, that's what the disciples thought. At least for a little bit. 
You see, something was about to happen that would radically change how they saw life. You see, they would watch their teacher go to court. He was falsely accused. He was beaten and whipped, imprisoned, and crucified. And he would die. And all the disciples in that moment would have lost hope. But something amazing happened. After three days, he came back to life. And he ate with them. And he spoke with them. And they touched him. And they knew in that moment who Jesus was. He wasn't just a great teacher. He wasn't just a close friend. He was God in the flesh. God in the flesh. And it changed how they saw everything in life, including these parables. You see, they knew very quickly that the story was not about them. The story was about Jesus, who left heaven, a place of perfection, to come down here. He gave up everything, including his life, to come down here to find his treasure and his pearl which is you and which is me. We're not the farmer in this story and we're not the merchant in this story. We are the pearl and the treasure. And Jesus gave up everything to come find us. And when the disciples saw that, they understood at that point in time how small their sacrifice truly was. But very soon, they would have an opportunity to follow in Christ's footsteps. You see, when Christ came back, it changed how they saw the world. It changed how they lived their lives. And they spent the rest of their lives living out God's mission to seek and save the lost, to tell people the story of Christ so they too could have a real relationship with this God who wanted to transform their lives. And guess what happened? One by one, By one, by one. Every one of these disciples would die because of this proclamation of faith. Every disciple would die except for John, who God allowed to die of old age. Not because he turned on God, but God was just gracious to him. Every disciple gave up their life proclaiming this truth that got people so worked up that they killed them. Now, why would they do that? Why would they make that sacrifice? Because they saw Christ give his sacrifice. And they understood that this life is temporary. But they wanted to invest into the eternal. This past Wednesday, we began our Lenten season with Ash Wednesday. And if you were here, you heard these words as you had the ashes wiped on your forehead. You are dust and to dust you shall return. You see, as we begin our our Lenten journey together, this is what we tell you, that you are temporary and everything around you is temporary. And as we move through the Lenten season, we start putting these practices into our lives, right? We fast, we pray more, we, we give more in offering, right? We have all these things that we do because we acknowledge that life is temporary, But we also look at our lives, we recalibrate it because we realize, every one of us, we have valued the wrong things, haven't we? 
And ultimately, what Christ is saying in this parable and what he was communicating to his disciples is, what do you value? Or another way to say it is, what controls you? Right? What controls you? Or if you personalize it, the question is this. What controls me? You see, as we go through this Lenten journey, we ask ourselves questions like this. What controls me? Is it TV or entertainment? Is it social media that I need to give up, right, to give that control back to God or take that time and give it back to God? Is it a relationship I have? Maybe it's a fiancé or a child or a grandchild or a friend that I've unintentionally put in the place of God, right? I've, I've elevated them too much. Maybe it's our work. That's easy to do, right? I, I work really hard to make money to buy the things that won't last to impress people that I don't actually like. You ever fallen into that trap? I know I have. What controls me? What controls you? Now, maybe it's none of those things for you. Maybe it's something else. But I want you to do this. I want you to poke around your life until you find the thing that's the most sensitive. And what you will find in that space is that that controls you. That's an area of life that you need to give to God, especially during the season. Because here's my fear. And it's not public speaking, even though that might be yours. That is the number one fear of people. But that's not mine. Because this is what my number one fear is. My number one fear is not speaking in front of people, but what people will say publicly at my funeral. And I hope you have that same tension and that same perspective. And you can fix that and recalibrate that by asking yourself, what controls me? And take those things and give them to God. Trouble